Welcome to the eighth installment of the PK Experience. Today, I have with me Chris Chico, who is a real estate investor in South Florida. I met Chris many years ago. I go into the story of how we met in the episode and wanted to let you know that Chris's claim to fame was through a system that he created to invest in real estate virtually, which means that he can buy and sell real estate from his laptop with you know, you've seen the infomercials with no money down and things like that. I've actually done the same thing. That's actually how Chris and I met. I was doing real estate investing uh, as well as Chris. Chris was a buyer of one of my properties and we got to know each other and became good friends after that. But uh, Chris, again, is really known as the virtual real estate investing guy. And so we get into that here in this episode. So grab a pen and paper. There's a lot of really great stuff in this episode. I hope you enjoy All right, welcome. We are live. I'm here with Chris Chico, who is a real estate investor down in Fort, La- uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And uh, I have to tell, whenever I tell people about you, Chris, I always tell this uh, initial story of how we met in the first place because uh, I think that gives you a lot of credibility, at least in my mind, uh, it does. So I was a real estate investor, um, a new in- uh, investor. I was maybe a year or two into it, still kind of feeling my way through it all. And, and I found. <laughs> I found this house that literally had a hole. I don't know if you remember this, but it had a hole about three feet in diameter on the side of the house. And like water had gotten into it. And I think there was a squatter that was living in there or something like that. But the owner was an old couple up in um, Massachusetts or somewhere. And I had sent them a letter and, I, and, and they called me back and they said, what is this about this property we own? And I'm like, yeah, you have a property in Fort Lauderdale. And it's got a huge hole in the side. And they're like, uh, yeah, I guess we forgot we owned that. <laughs> I mm. said, well, it's got a huge hole in the side and it needs to be taken care of. And anyway, long story short, I got it under contract and, uh, and then called you. And we had never met in person before, but we met out at the property. And I think I was asking like 13 grand for it. I, I had it under contract for like nine. And I was going to flip it to you for like a few grand. And, and you were like, no, I can't do that. And I was like, dang it, you know. I thought, I thought that was a pretty reasonable number. And you're like, no, 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 we'd pay much higher than that. I, I'll give you like 20 for it. <laughs> I was like, I, really? Yeah. I don't remember any yeah. of that. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I like the way this guy negotiates. This is going in the right direction. Yeah. I'm, I'm good with that. But long story short, you, you came in and at the time you were working with a, a bigger buyer and you're like, oh, we'll, we'll still make a lot of money on this. this the, you know, your number's too low. I can give you a much better price for that. I was like, man, this, this guy's pretty cool. I appreciated that. So interesting. Yeah, I don't remember. Maybe I don't remember because it was such a horrible, bad way of negotiating that <laughs> um, it's just like you lose that from your memory. I went to an exorcist and they removed that. And so now I have all I, I, I remember you and I meeting at the uh, P.F. Chang. That's a lot. That's a, my first memory of you. Yeah. A long yeah. time ago before you moved out. Uh, I guess okay. before you, you you were living down here. Weren't you living down here at some point? Yeah. You were living down here. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, yeah. So that's a, but I don't remember any of that. So um, I don't know if, if I should be alarmed by that or or maybe happy that I don't because I was really bad renegotiating. Well, tactics. I think I think it actually speaks <laughs> to the fact that 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 there's some decent character in you, and maybe that's something you don't want to think about. But you're actually maybe, a pretty good yes. guy. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yes. Well, <laughs> some <Chris>, mental issues. <laughs> Chris, welcome to the call. Thank you for uh, thank you for the time today and. Um, as I mentioned in the pre-call, uh, meetup that we just had, uh, I've got a lot of friends that have asked me 
you know, tell me more about this whole real estate investing thing. Is like, is that a legit deal? Can you actually make money? Is it legal? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I thought, you know, it'd be really interesting to do a call with a full-time real estate investor. I, I'm not doing it full-time at the moment, but uh, you certainly, A, are doing it full-time, but also have made uh, some interesting headways into uh, educating other people how to do it. Tell us a little bit, well, before we get into that, Let's sort of set the scene for, like, why would anybody want to get into real estate investing in the first place? Why did you get into it in the first place? You know, I used to be, I, I got into real estate as an agent. I used to be an agent. I actually, I went, I, went I, I got a degree in accounting from college, which lasted about six months after I got my degree that I didn't want to be an accountant. And so I went into real estate as an agent. And then as an agent, I was a horrible agent um, uh, and, and eventually got in um, selling properties for the banks, you know, when they take over as a foreclosure and then they need a real estate agent in order to sell it. And that was kind of like my entry point into real estate investing. And then from there, there was a particular person, a particular investor that was buying most of my properties, uh, me being the agent, that investor, you know, buying most of my inventory. And he said, Hey, come work for me. And, uh, and I'll teach you the ropes. And that's kind of how my entryway into real estate investing began. And then from there, then I, I went on my own. But I think that um, in terms of real estate, I mean, I, I think about the fact that uh, almost, um, you know, there's always, I always took a look at life in terms of fundamental skills or, or fundamental things that you can have in your tool belt as a way to make money, as a way to maybe future-proof, uh, you know, future-proof yourself, at least financially. And real estate always comes into the picture, you know, in, in that broad set of skills, you know, because you have direct response marketing, you have the ability to market yourself or market uh, for other people. But you know, when you, whenever you look at uh, anyone who's who's made a ton of money, they either have used real estate as a facilitator <coughs> to make that kind of money, or maybe they use real estate as a way to maybe take some of that some of that money that they made and put it into an asset class, right? That allows them to to keep some of that money. So real estate is always in the mix. And you know, I always say that uh, you know, you look at uh, some of these uh, big companies like Walmart, where you know they have generational wealth, and it's you know we all try to do the best we can in business to try to create that. But you know, the simplest and the surest way that anybody can do that is through real estate investing, because theoretically, you can buy properties, you can acquire properties that then you could potentially leave that as a legacy for your kids or for you know uh, uh, when you when you pass along. So there's a lot of benefits, I think, to to real estate investing in general and, and being involved in that, in that arena. I, I think that's what you're asking, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, I, uh, for me I, for, and for a lot of people, I think uh, that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, was a light bulb that went off for me, this whole idea of passive income and real estate being a vehicle for passive income. I mean, there's a few other asset classes where you can get that passive income, but real estate to me seemed like the, the low, low, lowest barrier to entry and it made sense to me. Like I can go see a house and I get fundamentally, oh, that I can maybe, you know, lease it out to somebody and get a passive income for it. So that whole concept of passive income to me was, was something that I kind of knew about. But as far as like creating wealth, oh, okay, if I had 10 properties, 20 properties, 50 properties, and they were all putting money in my pocket every month, that money's coming in whether I work or not, quote unquote. And right. so like that, that to me was a big eye opener. And then, you know, that's how I kind of got involved with, with real estate. I backed into it, starting with the idea of how do I create financial freedom and real estate being the vehicle to do that. So and anyway, I think that, you know, that, that's, that's, I think the benefit, that benefit is also what stops people from getting in real estate. 
because they look at that as the entry point. Meaning yep. that if you think about, you know, that say being the end goal and saying, yeah, I would love to own property, love to have the able to have that passive income stream. Then you think about the next set of things that you think about are, hey, I need to you know, have enough cash and reserves and money for down payments, deposits. So I really can't get involved with that right now. And I think that's what you and I are going to talk about is the fact that there is another way to get to kind of get into the real estate world without having to do any of that. Perfect segue. Yes, I was actually that that's one of the biggest barriers in people's minds as to why they don't get involved in real estate is well I don't have any money yet. So right. so let's let's speak into that. Help help the listener understand how you can actually make money in real estate without having money of your own to do it. Right. So when most people think about real estate and think about, let's say, the term flipping. Right. So as a real estate investor, most people think about, you know, those shows that you see on TV, you know, the, the, where they buy a house, they fix it up and then they go ahead and resell it and hopefully make a profit. And, and, and that's that's one way of doing it. What we do is is actually we actually start a little bit further back from that. And uh, the best way that I can describe it is actually we flip uh, real estate contracts, uh, not not the houses. And so then how does that work? So let's say that for my, and I'm going to keep it high level and then we can always get into the weeds. But let's say, for example, that I am uh, um, I, I go out and I find an owner of a property that uh, has a property that's worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and they're going to sell it to me for, say, seventy five thousand dollars. Right. So they're willing to sell it for seventy five and they're and, and it's worth one hundred and fifty. And we'll get into the reasons why they would even consider selling that. But let's say just to, to, so we can have a grasp of, of the example of flipping contracts. So then what I would do as a real estate investor is I would go ahead and I sign an agreement with that property owner uh, agreeing to purchase that property for $75,000. Now, at the time that I make the agreement, uh, I have a minimal deposit on that deal. And, and when I say minimal, it could be just a $100 deposit on the contract. And, and then the agreement is for me to buy it and close on that property in about 30 to 45 days. Now, I don't own the property, but legally what I now have is I, I own legally the, the contract. So that's, my, that's, that's what I now have ownership of. And now what I go and I do is I go out and find other uh, real estate investors like those guys that you see on TV that are buying houses, fixing them up and reselling it. And I go and find those people in that particular same area. And I say to them, look, um, if you're looking for a deal, I've got a property that's worth 150000 And then what I do is if I have the contract uh, on that property with the owner for 75000 then I will then go to the other investor and say, look, you, I'm, I'm, I'm selling my contract. Now, I don't say I'm selling the house because I don't own the house, but I'm selling the contract to this property. And so the contract is for 85000 So I have it on the contract for seventy five, and I tell, and, and, and so I offer that contract to the other real estate investor for $85,000. So there's a $10,000 spread on that. And so then he looks at that, he or she looks at that and says, oh, that's a great deal. I'll take it. And then they go ahead and they, I, I go ahead and what's, do an assignment of contract, which is just uh, paperwork that gives them the right to take that contract over. So now it gets transferred from me then gets transferred to them. And then now a couple weeks later, they go to the title company, they bring the cash, they go get the loan, and they close on the property. And when they come to close on the property, they bring $85,000, I get 10,000 10, of that, and then the original owner gets seventy-five. dollars 
And so then now, if, in, in, in essence, I've made $10,000, but without actually owning the property. And then, you know, what I did is I actually, uh, I, I sold my contract um, to that <laughs> other investor. And that's, in essence, uh, what, what I do and what I teach. And so it is the easiest way to get started because if you are, you know, a lot of people think that the easiest way to get started is to buy a house and to try to fix it up. But if you're brand new in the business and you don't know what you're doing, there's a lot of pitfalls in that. And you can end up, yeah, you're, you're going into that thinking that you're going to make money, but you could end up losing money, a lot of money. And so because in this, in this particular scenario that I described, if I put that property in the contract and then let's say 10 to 15 days later, I do my best, but I can't find another investor to buy the contract off of me, then at that point, then I can just simply back out of the deal and I don't lose any money. I have every right to do that under the terms of my agreement. And so now I, I've, I've lost nothing. I've lost nothing other than my effort, time and energy that I put into this to try and see if I could sell that agreement. Yes. And so that's, that's the flipping contracts angle. I think uh, a lot of times when I try to explain this to other people, their eyes just kind of gloss over and it's hard for them to understand this concept. And so what I have found beneficial is to, to share the concept without real estate involved. Because I think when people start to think of real estate, they, they automatically or even subconsciously go, wait, I don't really understand real estate, therefore I can't understand this concept. So a lot of times what I'll, I'll use something else, another asset. So for example, let's say a really, really rich dude bought a $250,000 Ferrari that he brings home and his wife goes, oh, I don't like red, I wanted it black. And the guy's got so much money, he doesn't care, and he says to you, you know what, I'll give this Ferrari to you for hundred grand." Well, you know that it literally just rolled off the lot for $250,000. He's willing to give it to you for hundred, but there's no, there's no proof that he's going to give it to you for hundred until he writes it down on a piece of paper. Right, right, exactly. So if he writes it down on a piece of paper and says, yeah, I'll sell you, sell you this Ferrari for $100,000, now that piece of paper becomes valuable. That piece of paper now becomes uh, an asset in and of itself because it's, an, it's a legal agreement to sell this very nice $250,000 Ferrari for only $100,000. And then you as, as the investor can take that $100,000 contract and give it to somebody else who maybe will pay you $10,000 for the right to buy it at $100,000. So anyway, sometimes I'll throw out a different asset like a car or a diamond or whatever so that people understand – it's not real estate. This is not a real estate trick or a real estate only thing. It's really anything of value that you got on uh, an agreement on a piece of paper that says you you can buy it for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, 100% correct. 100% correct. It just happens to be we're talking about real estate, but yes, yes. 100%. So, and so then, go ahead. I was going to say that um, another question that I get a lot from people is why is that valuable? Why doesn't the, the person who goes and fixes it up and and you know, flips it to an end buyer. Why does that investor not just go and do the deal in the first place? Why are you needing to step in for that? Well, I mean, for the why doesn't the other investor go out and and do that? Correct. So, right. So, there's a couple of things. So, actually, the question there's two questions. Is number one is why would an owner sell you a property that's significantly below market value? And then the second question is why would an investor pay you an assignment fee for 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 that contract? Right, because 
that's money that they're paying out of their pocket that reduces their profit. And so um, in terms of the the first side, which is the owner, why would a property owner sell a, sell a property at a discount? I always like to give the example of a truck that I recently sold. I had a Suburban that was free and clear, um, I, and I wanted to sell it. So I have two options with that car. I can go on Craigslist. I can put ads. I can go ahead and talk to people. And eventually, I could sell it. Uh, that car maybe needed some tires, so maybe I had to fix it up, put some tires in there. Maybe I had to fix up a couple dents here or there. And then now... Now, I finally, I'm able to sell it on Craigslist and go through that process. It'll take me maybe two or three weeks, right, before that all, all is set and done. But now, instead, what I did is I took that same car and I took it to the dealer. And I took it to the dealer because, and, and they offered me, uh, you know, substantially less than what I could on Craigslist, maybe three to $4,000 less. And I knew that that dealer was going to take the car and, be, and, and, and sell it to another client and make money and or wholesale it themselves. And I didn't have any issue with that. Why? Because and now, now some you could say, well, did I give my equity away? Did I give my the dealer the equity? I didn't do that. What I did is I traded the equity for something else. I traded my equity and, 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 and the dealer gave me back convenience. They gave me back speed and they eliminated that hassle from me, from me having to deal with all that. So that's in essence what we have with the property owners. Uh, sometimes it's convenience. The property owner can take and repair the property, put it on the market with an agent, wait the three to four months in order to sell it. But they don't want to do that. They would rather just get it done out of the way as quickly as possible. Sometimes they may not have the money. Sometimes you have a property that needs repairs in order to put it out in the market and be able to sell it and, and be able to have sell it to a buyer that's going to get financing. The property needs repairs, needs a roof, uh, a roof done. And that person may not have the money to shell out to be able to repair the roof, say a $15,000 roof, to then be able to get a better price for the property. So they're kind of constrained around that. And so there's a variety of different reasons. There's also, for example, somebody might inherit the property and they're out of the area. And so they don't really want to deal with that property on their own. And so they'd rather just sell it to somebody else. So it's, it's I always say that, you know, people, uh, we never steal a property for someone, never steal their equity. What, what people are doing is they're trading their equity. Uh, in their property for something else. And again, that could be convenience, that could be speed, et cetera. Now, on the flip side, when you have a real estate investor, uh, most real estate investors, if they're out there doing rehabs, fixing up properties, uh, they are not out there spending time finding these deals. And so because those are almost, there's two completely sides of the business. Because if you're busy rehabbing houses and fixing them up, generally speaking, you don't have the time to go out and, and, and do what we do, which is go out and find properties and generate leads and, and go through the sifting and the sorting process in order to find those properties. And keep in mind is that, you know, uh, it, it's interesting because sometimes we might do a deal and we might say uh, make $20,000 in a deal. And it's easy to see that that 20,000 and say, oh, that's free money. But it really isn't because, you know, how many leads did we have to go through? How many properties did we have to see in order to find that one deal that made us that money? Now, obviously, we're making a profit because there's a tremendous profit margin, but there's also work on our side. You know, everything we got to do, the systems we got to put in place to get the leads to come in and everything else. And so many times it's just a completely different business that a lot of these other real estate investors don't either have the desire or the capability to do. So for them, you know, they're going to repair the property. They're going to to make you know 30 grand 40 grand after it's all said and done and so for them you know that's a property that they would not have otherwise been able to get themselves it, because they're not listed on the MLS and so you know they they're willing to pay us for that 
for for the property in that way because for them it's it's a win also for them. So it's kind of like a, you know both sides of the of the equation have a uh, a particular angle to them. You know, actually, as you were just saying that, it re- reminded me of a story where <clears throat> I had somebody come to me recently and say, like, why why is that necessary for you to go find the deal? And it occurred to me that they're probably asking that question from the mindset of the traditional person when they go out to find a property, they just go right under the MLS. It's, it's right. there. And, and, and it occurred to me that the, I, my response to him was, go out and do it. If, if you think that, it's, that you can just go out and find good deals like this, go out and do it. It's, it's a business. It's hard to do. It's hard to uh, get the word out there that you do this. It's hard to sift through all that to, to get it. It's hard to go find and, and meet with homeowners and negotiate and find a win-win solution. It's a full-time business to do just that. So, yeah, finding the deal is, is one thing and then fixing it and reselling it is another end of the equation for sure. Right. So, you know, to, to this model, really what, 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 what it is, it's, it's a um, – I look at it as – uh, the primary, even if you want to be a real estate investor and and move toward that model where you're buying properties and fixing them up, the the first priority is figuring out how to find these deals. Because when you you know the the person who who's able to find these deals, that person is the most valuable person in the market. Because you could have you, at any given time you have a lot of investors that have the money to be able to buy these properties and fix them up, but many times they just don't have the ability to go find the deals. Mm-hmm. And so being the person that goes out. Go, goes out and is able to find these deals is 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 to me the starting point, but also one of the most valuable um, uh, the most valuable position to hold in the marketplace. If that makes sense, yeah. Yes, because you're you're the first responder, so to speak. You're the where you're the one there that's basically controlling the rest of of the deal. Exactly. I call it uh, uh, part of it is uh, uh, a term I've been using lately is uh, a toll booth. You know, toll booth, if you imagine a toll booth in the middle of the road, you know, there's traffic that goes either way. And the toll booth is the one that makes money. And, and in our example is one, one lane is the mm-hmm. sellers and one, one lane is the buyers. Mm-hmm. And if you can control, put yourself in that position where you have access to the sellers, but you also are able to go out and find the buyers, then in essence, you own that toll booth on that one-way road that everybody else has to go through. Wow, that's and, great. and to Metaphor. me, that's, 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 the, that's the way that I describe it. That makes sense. I like that. So, Chris, you've done something that uh, is is for to the average person probably very very uh, unorthodox, and have set up a system to buy real estate, what you call virtual real estate or virtual wholesaling, where you're actually buying. You're you're creating that toll booth in a virtual way, where you can actually sit on your computer and make money all day, buy quote unquote buying and selling real estate, but without actually having to go see the property or things like that. In fact, you're buying properties outside of your state, are you not? And and I mean, I know you are, but or at least outside of your region. Yeah. So, can you walk us through sort of what virtual wholesaling is and what you've done with that? Yeah, so virtual wholesaling, what happened is I was doing deals here in South Florida, and when the market started to go bad, this is around 2008, 2007-ish, <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I, I did also, even though the market here was, was, was bad in Florida, however, there are other parts of the country that were not experiencing the massive price drop that we had here. So I started to think about, well, gee, you know, why can't I just go out and do deals in those other parts of the country? And, you know, if, you, if, if I was going out and buying properties and really uh, was, was putting my own cash on there, uh, you know, at the closing table and, you know, I needed, I would need to make sure that all my I's were dotted, my T's were crossed, that I knew the values, that I had repairs and everything else. However, with this model where we're just flipping the contract, then really um, we, we, we don't have to do a lot of that uh, type of analysis. In, in other words, you know, because there's very little risk involved. So what happened is that uh, I'm trying to think about how to best describe it. So I had developed a system which I was able to go into the public records. I would buy a list of homeowners and I would send them postcards. And um, at that time, you know, um, so I would send them postcards and they would call me and I would do the deals that way. And what happened is that then I figured out that, hey, I can go out and buy these lists of property owners in other parts of the country very easily. Because now uh, this is right around 2007 and eight is when this data started to become uh, uh, more accessible. And so then I just then said, hey, what, what if I just took and I bought this list of owners in another area completely different than where I live. And then also I can buy a list of buyers in that particular region. And if, if all I'm looking at is the numbers, you know, I'm looking at the, the, the reports that tell me, Hey, here's what this property, here's all the properties that have sold in the area. And here's this property. And I could make that analysis. Then, then at that point I said, Hey, it makes sense that I should be able to do that. And so just through a lot of trial and error, I figured out that, you know, by flipping contracts, I can go into any part of the country really and, and be able to do deals. I don't have to really personally meet with any buyers or sellers. I don't have to personally inspect the property or know anything about repairs because in the end, all I'm doing is, is doing an agreement with the owner. And then I am looking at almost as if, if I was just trading stocks or I was trading something online where I'm just looking at reports. And, you know, back then it was a little bit more difficult because there was no Google Street View. So I would have to hire these people to go on Craigslist and, uh, and, and take photos of these properties for me. Now it's a lot easier because if I talk to you and you're completely out of the area, I can talk to you on the phone. I can pull up your property on Google Street View. I can pull up a report right there on my screen that shows me your property, all the details. I can look at every single property that's sold around your, around your property. Property, and I could make an offer to you right there on the spot. And if you say yes, I'll send you the paperwork by email. You sign it. And then I turn around and I go out and I do the same research. I find the buyers that are in that area that are also buying these deals. And I contact them over the phone. And, you know, I just put those together. And that's how you're able to do deals really without having to physically be at that location. Um, and that's kind of what I'm known for is being able to pioneer that. It's 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 pretty much what you're doing, whether the property is a mile away from you anyway. You know, that's, Correct. that's Correct. the thing is, is the work that needs to be done is work behind the computer, whether it's a mile away or a thousand miles away. So, exactly. and with technology today, like you said, and I'm just kind of recapping for the listener, you know, you can see the property on, on Google maps, literally see the view on, on Google street view. You can find out what other comparable properties are being sold for through software on the internet. 
And uh, you can get a rough indication. A lot of times the homeowner will tell you, yeah, you know, uh, you know, this needs to be repaired or the roof is old or whatever. And you can, you can get some very rough numbers just based off a conversation with a homeowner and back your numbers out and, and figure out what you need to do to make a profit on the deal and, and then find local investors in that area to, to, to resell it to. Um, so I have to ask you, this is sort of a, a little bit of a tangent when the market went south in 2008, I don't know if you dealt with any, like what was some of the ridiculousness that you dealt with? Because when I was there at the time, 2005, I remember 2006, I mean, it was, that was like at the height of the bubble. And I remember seeing, you know, with all these condo conversions, people were lining out literally for days to buy these pre-construction right. properties. I met one guy that had a tent and a, a dozen donuts and a, a pack of beer. And I'm like, you know, you're going to be out here for a while. He's like, three days, man, I'm going to buy this property, whatever. And the, the crazy thing was people were making money doing that. You know, they were, yes. they were putting a thousand dollars down on these, uh, pre-construction contracts. And five, six months later, they would resell it for twenty, thirty thousand dollars in profit. And, uh, it was insane back in the day. Do you have any stories of, uh, some of the insanity that went down? Um, you know, I, I guess uh, it's interesting you, you you ask that because uh, just thinking back, I didn't think I didn't think of it that way. I think it, it's almost like um, uh, it, I think this applies to real estate, it applies to a variety of different things. But it's it's interesting how 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 quickly you get used to things. Mm. So in other words, you you know, um, I, I had a um, I had a uh, I'm not a very handy person around the house. Okay, so I don't hardly do any work, and so we had the the the, the kitchen faucet uh, wasn't working properly, so it was leaking, yeah. and 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 I didn't have the wherewithal to change it. Okay, now this is what uh, this is what a whole uh, that this is how you know you can become a real estate investor because I'm flipping contracts, but I have no idea how to fix a kitchen faucet. <laughs> Eventually, I ended up hiring a plumber and buying the the and ended up costing me like four hundred dollars between the 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 faucet and the plumber to come and 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 install it for me. And uh, a couple of my friends said that you should have called me. I charged me. I would have charged you a hundred bucks for you. But but what happened was interesting about that story is that the 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 faucet was was uh, leaking around it. And so then I hadn't had time to call the plumber. I hadn't had time to go get the, uh, the particular um, fixture at Home Depot. So what I did is I put a towel around it. I put a towel around the, uh, the side of it mm -hmm. so because as the water leaked, because when you close it, it didn't leak all the way. So it just kind of dripped. And then the whole, the whole granite countertop would be filled with water. Mm -hmm. so, so I put this thing over it. And... Um, and then what happened with it, it was interesting because when I finally got it fixed, it was interesting because I, I, I find it amazing the fact that I got so used to putting the towel over, mm -hmm. wringing it. And, you know, you got into this routine where now that became the norm. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because it applies to what we're talking about here, but it applies to a bunch of different things. And it, I, I always find that fascinating because in terms of real estate, you got used to the fervor. You got used to the fact that, oh, it's a new condo development. And look at the line. Like, oh, if the line wasn't a few blocks long, then you think, oh, you know, what's going on? Mm -hmm. So it just became the norm. And so I, I, didn't, I never thought of it that way. Like, oh, gee, that's how that these properties are selling for a crazy amount of money. Look, we bought this thing, and two months later, it's worth fifteen dollars or $20,000 more. Um, so I never thought of it that way. And I think it's just because we just became uh, we came numb to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that then, however, though, then I remember it was during uh, it was one of the hurricanes that came down here. And I remember it was just like from night and day, 
everything just like stopped mm-hmm. uh, completely. And, uh, and and it was interesting because also too, I think that that market gave you a high level of uh, of confidence. That maybe um, uh, you know, you, it's almost like you're you're, you're pulling the uh, the what's that thing the uh, the lever, yeah, the lever on the uh, slot machine, mm-hmm. and you think that oh, you know, I I can do no wrong, you know, I can just I, I I don't have to you know pay any attention to anything because everything is great, and I think that and I ended up losing a lot of money uh, in there because I I lost I wasn't prepared for it, mm-hmm. so all of a sudden you know one of the things that I learned in that market is is uh, you know it's 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 easy to uh, ramp up your expenses, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's very difficult to ramp them down. Yeah. Very difficult. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, back when I, when I was making, when I started making a lot of money, I did, I always say, I, I did the only reasonable thing uh, a man would ever do that's never made any money and all of a sudden makes a lot of money and would be buy an, ex- an, an, an extremely expensive car uh, with a huge monthly payment. Of course. Um, and I did all those things that you, you know, they people say you shouldn't do. And then when the market went, it's like it's hard getting rid of all that stuff because, you know, you still got to pay the car. Yeah. Uh, J- uh, so just like you, you got used to wringing out the towel. You got used to uh, jumping in your nice car every day. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, um, so you know, uh, so so going back to your original question, it's like you know, I, we really we didn't notice it, and only noticed it when we really had that drop off, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden now the market w- was dead. Um, one of the might say, go ahead. I was just going to say one of the things that I learned in that whole thing was number one, everybody was a real estate investor. Everybody was, quote unquote, investing in real estate. And most people, you know, for for the people that were doing it professionally and had a whole business and marketing and all that kind of stuff, that's what I consider a a legitimate real estate investor. And so uh, I started losing deals to average everyday people that had no idea what they were doing. And when I say losing deals, what I mean is people, I was getting outbid by these people that were quote unquote real estate investors. And I'm like, there's barely any margin there at all at, at my number. There's almost no margin for these quote unquote real estate investors. And I had, um, you know, being in South Florida, you know, as a vacation spot or whatever, I had a lot of people back home from where I was from originally in St. Louis, where I am now. And we had, I had some family friends that had contacted me and these are the most conservative, conservative people. You know, you talk about that, um, I forget who said it, that talks about that, uh, that, that graph, like that buying graph. You have the early adopters, right? Right. And then you have the, uh, I forget what the different stages are, but then essentially you have the laggards, right? Simon Sinek talks about this in his TED Talk where the, the laggards are the ones that buy a, a flip phone because rotary phones aren't available anymore. Like that's, right. that's the only reason why they make change in their habits. And so I had some of these people who, who are typically from a buying standpoint laggards and they were calling me and they said, uh, you know, we've, we've heard a little bit about this, this real estate thing down in South Florida. You know, would you help us find a real estate investment property? And that to me was the biggest like, oh, this bubble is about to break. Because, right, yeah. because the tail end, so if you, if you look at the psychology of people that are into something and, and at the same time, I realized that would have been the best time to sell because it was at the height of the bubble. Right, yeah. The people that made money is when they sold at the height of the bubble. Exactly. Yeah. And and I did the same thing you did, which was not do that and ended up losing a lot of money too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, you learn learn those lessons, unfortunately. You try to to learn uh, less of those lessons in that way as hopefully as you get older. Exactly. Um, 
And and so that's when I got it. I also got into the at that time into the education business, and then um, and I think you know now I don't know if you want to talk about now. Whereas before, I was going out and I was uh, I was finding these properties by doing direct mail. Um, and so what's happened is well, that, let, me, let me pause you really ahead. quick. If for those that you don't know, or for those that don't know, or, or if people are listening to this and they are real estate investors, Chris was pretty much the the guy that started the yellow postcard. Were you not? Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I guess uh, not. Yeah, pretty much. I, it, uh, I created uh, at the time. Everybody would send these postcards that just say, "Hey, we buy houses cash," which is like your typical uh, statement that most real estate investors use. And I created these postcards that were just really like filled with text. Like you would look at them and say, "Why in the world would you ever send that? That that makes no sense." They were very elaborate. I had gotten a book from Dan Kennedy, and he talked about creating a story. And so then uh, I, I created these kind of quasi stories on the postcard where I said, you know, I'm looking to buy a property. I was driving around the area and I saw your property in this street and I'm looking to buy and here's this and here's that. And so they were like jam packed with text. And I was one of the pioneers with using that concept with uh, also at the time um, uh, uh, variable input printing, which is just came out, which is where if you if I would send a thousand postcards, each postcard would be individualized with that person's name and address information on the card because I knew that that would increase the response rate and also using 24 recorded messages where instead of them calling a number and then just talking to somebody right away, they had to listen to a voicemail message. And then at the end of the message, then they would leave their information. And so um, and we had to do it that way out of necessity, because sometimes we would mail thousands of postcards at a time. And whenever they hit the street, you know, we would get like, you know, hundreds of calls in any afternoon. So even if we had a direct number, we couldn't we couldn't talk to any, everybody. So it was just that whole process, I was one of the ones that pioneered that whole that whole process of the postcards, which is now um, very much, you know, a lot of the postcards you see out there are a derivative of, of some of the ones that I created originally. Yeah, I mean, almost anybody that's doing real estate investing today has either heard of the yellow postcard or is using the yellow postcard for good reason, because at least for a long time it worked. And, and I just want to attribute that to you, but also for the fact that you, like, you're not only a real estate investor, you might even be more of a marketer first just because your mind goes to, like, how do I get through to that person? How do I tell the right story? And so, uh, although we we did speak, what was it, a week or two ago, and you were telling me about, <laughs> about what you wanted to do with the yellow postcard because it sort of has had its run. Tell us quickly. Oh, yes. <laughs> the the well, ceremonial... I, 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 yeah. uh, yeah, I had this. Uh, I had this idea. I, I I was talking to you, and I, uh, you know what happened is in our market, you know, every marketing strategy runs its course to a certain extent because of saturation. More and more people use it, and so the postcard isn't as um, uh, that whole methodology of sending out postcards. It's a bit more saturated. And from a marketing perspective, I was telling you that you know I thought of this great idea for a video where I would I would I would have this video in my backyard, and maybe the camera would zoom in, and I would be just talking, you know, kind of like what you see in the movies, and saying you. You know, um, it, we've had a great run, and and uh, I, I'm just sorry that that you know things are ending this way, and I wish it could have been longer. And then the camera would would pan in, and it would it would be like digging a hole in the yard, and and people would think I'm at a cemetery or something, maybe you know uh, burying my dog or cat. And then I would just place the postcard in the <laughs> hole, and then just start 
pushing it with dirt. Um, and I even bought, I bought, uh, I bought, I went to the uh, costume store and I bought a, uh, a, a tombstone, a tombstone. And I, I bought a Grim Reaper outfit too as well. Oh, you've uh, got where, to do that. You've yeah, got to I, do that. Where, uh, I did, I have the video recorded. I haven't used it as, as I haven't used it yet in the advertising, but with the, uh, me as the Grim Reaper with the postcard in front saying, Hey, it's dead. Postcards are dead. It's done. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let me know when you do that because I'll, I'll add that to this uh, podcast page. But uh, th- that actually is a, a pretty good segue to what you're doing now. So the marketer in you goes, okay, these postcards, these things are not as effective as they were before. What do you do now? What's working now? And, and tell the story of you know, how you got into what you're doing now and, and walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, so you know, again – Every every marketing tactic, you know, has uh, is going to get uh, it's going to get saturated, and so you know, whenever you can go, when I first started, it was very difficult to obtain list of these property owners, um, and so you had to kind of jump through a lot of hoops, and and the postcard and getting them out uh, was not uh, was very difficult, and so then uh, come now to today where you can go and uh, you can go to Google online, Google uh, and and find you know, half a dozen or a dozen vendors that will sell you a list. And literally within a span of an afternoon, you could buy a list and you can go to another vendor, uh, tell them that you want to send postcards and, and you have a, a direct mail campaign up and running. And so with that, obviously comes uh, competition, saturation. And I started to think about like, you know, hey, where, uh, what's the next, how can I, you know, what what's the next marketing strategy that uh, would perhaps allow me to buy properties and not have that that issue. And uh, it was funny because I started just to think about uh, the online world and how 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 much um, how many of us uh, use you know our, our smartphones. And and, and the the thing I, I thought about was that uh, I was thinking about my, my father-in-law who unfortunately uh, just uh, passed away not too re- not too long ago, but even my mom, you know, they all have smartphones now. And and for them, for them, the internet. If you say, "Can you Google that?" They don't know what what what, what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But if you say Facebook, that's their internet. Mm-hmm. They think that the internet is Facebook. Mm-hmm. At least that's what my mom thinks and my dad <laughs> thinks, right? So so I started to think about that. And uh, one of the things that I'm you know, uh, one of my favorite books is um, Blue Ocean, Blue Ocean Strategy. Which you talked about, and blue ocean strategy is, you know, in any particular market, you have the the the, you know, in any market to have to, you always want to be one number one and number two, right? Because then third, fourth, and fifth and sixth, they get the crumbs, but the two, the the the, the number one and number two are the ones that get the bulk of the profits. And so back when I started, I, I that was a blue ocean, blue ocean meaning that nobody else was mailing postcards, etc. And so then it becomes a red ocean, and the red ocean is where you have a lot of competition, the market becomes commoditized. Right. And so then I saw the opportunity of, um, of, of the postcards, of the postcards. Oh, excuse me. I saw the opportunity of, of, of getting online with, with, uh, and, and trying to target sellers on Facebook. And I had, I had tried that before, but Facebook's uh, algorithm and, and the whole platform was, is, was significantly, significantly different a year and a half ago than what it is today. And um, now most people don't realize that Facebook just doesn't know, you know, whatever you put into it. If Facebook knows, like for example, if you're trying to, if you want to sell your house and you're on Facebook, you know, uh, 
maybe watching some cat videos and then you decide you know uh you know let me let me look uh to see what my house is worth and you go on zillow and you type in zillow and you look and you and you, and you do an analysis and then you say you know what let me go to that uh loan refinancing uh website and see what they say and then maybe you go to an article about you know selling your house etc those are data points that then come back to facebook because they have you tracking they have you tracked and so then facebook has this profile of you that you may not realize that they have all this all this data and information about you and so then uh, that's the thing that intrigued me is okay well how can we use that data and how can we find motivated sellers inside of of, of facebook and that that was kind of what started maybe uh, uh it was uh september or so of last year started testing and really just took what I was doing with the postcards and said, well, how can I apply that to Facebook? And through a lot of trial and error, uh, finally got it, got it to work where now we're able to go into a, a market. And, and, and it's interesting because now it opens up nation uh, worldwide because in the past we weren't able to do anything in Canada or the UK because we didn't know how the mailing system worked there and how we can get lists. But now with Facebook, you can go pretty much anywhere. And so then now we figured out a way to go in and say, okay, look, uh, I'm going to go in and, and find deals in this particular market. And we put we put together these ads that look like little bandit sign type of ads uh, on that particular market. And we can very quickly, quickly within 24 hours, start generating leads and potential deals. And we can also do the same thing for buyers. And we can kind of go in there uh, and, and, and be able to find us deals and find us buyers that we can sell our contracts to. And, and now that's a great opportunity because... Um, I always look at any opportunity. Uh, I always look at any opportunity that has a barrier to entry, meaning that um, you know, right now, if somebody wants to do a direct mail campaign with postcards, it's very easy for them to just, like I said, go online and get all that done. Uh, with Facebook, it's not that that easy. You know, they have to either find somebody that knows what they're doing and maybe hire them. Uh, but there's many times a generalist. You know, they don't know real estate, so they have to kind of learn the ins and outs of our business, or they have to become a Facebook uh, expert themselves and try to figure out the nuances and everything associated with that. So we, there's a barrier to entry with that. And so for, for me right now, that's the thing that I'm focusing on is, is, is how do we go out and generate and find buyers and sellers and be able to flip contracts, but without ever sending any postcard, uh, just really doing it online and also doing it uh, more cost effectively because unlike a direct mail campaign where we have to say spend you know a couple thousand dollars just to get a first direct mail campaign out with uh, Facebook ads you can just put an ad for twenty dollars twenty five bucks for the day and then if you get traction then you run it again tomorrow you run it you keep on running it as long as you get leads and so I think it's a lot easier um, once you get past the complexity of Facebook but the complexity of Facebook is a little bit of a barrier to entry. And so for me, that's that's exciting because now, um, you know, kind of we're, we're back into that blue ocean uh, world where now we don't have that much competition. Love that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So the, the blue ocean idea is really open water. It's open opportunity, whereas red ocean is just to be clear for those that are listening. The red ocean is think of it as a as the feeding frenzy because it's you know, there's there's a lot of competition in the water. Um, so really smart of you to find like, you know, most people see the barrier and they go, oh, it's too hard to get into. You look at the barrier and you go, oh, if I could just get through that barrier, it keeps everybody else out. Really smart. Um, so uh, how effective have you been with these ads? Um, you've been doing it yourself for a little while. I've been now, doing right? it myself and then now have, have uh, now we're teaching others. And, uh, you know, they're very effective. Uh, it's funny because, uh, like, I always judge it by... 
I there's one thing if I can do it because I'm fairly technical and you know, but I always say that the the true measure would be is, hey, can I give this to somebody else and can they do it? Because now that means that I've taken and, and distilled it down to the bare basics and now they can follow it. Um, and so then now we're starting to have great results. Uh, one one student in particular, I spoke with this particular student of mine a year ago, and he was struggling sending out direct mail. Uh, he was he was he was doing some deals, but you know it was just kind of um, touch and go, meaning that some months he'd do okay, and then some months they would just be nothing. And uh, and he was really struggling, and so um, I got him involved. I got him up and running with the Facebook ads and and, and working through those. And then he went from um, this. He did. He started in December, uh, running his first ads. He's closed his first deal in January. He has another two deals that hopefully will close in the next week or so. And now we're starting to see people, or a lot of the students that I have, they're saying, "Hey, look, I've done my first deal using Facebook ads." And then now for them, it becomes either a maybe they were struggling before with postcards, and now this replaces that, or maybe they do have other lead sources, but now they're layering in this other additional lead source for them to be able to, to, to generate deals. And I think, uh, you know, it's funny because um, the interesting thing is this, is that if I had someone, I had a, a, my, uh, uh, a nephew of mine recently asked me, you know, hey, Chico, how can I get involved with real estate? And so I had to th- he says, "What's your what? What do you recommend?" Because I gave him access to my stuff, and he he's he's looking at direct mail and he's looking at at the online leads. And um, I knew that like him starting out, he didn't have a lot, a lot of money that he would have to at least spend a couple thousand bucks in terms of direct mail, and he didn't have that money. Uh, and there's a lot of risk associated with that because you can put a couple thousand down, and then you know the results are not that great, and so now you have to start the whole thing over again. And uh, the the telling sign for me was that I, I said to him, I think you'd be better off and it's less risky if you just start generating the leads online mm-hmm. because all you have at risk is just uh, it's less complicated in terms of the process because with postcards you have to put you have to you know have the postcard, have the list, have the phone system, have the CRM. You got to go have all these components that come together in the right way. Whereas with the online leads, uh, it's there's less of those components, and again, the risk factor is less. So for me right now, I think anybody getting started, I think uh, the online leads makes it a lot easier, less risk, um, and, and more economical way to kind of dip your foot in the water um, in, ter- in terms of what we do with rip- flipping contracts. Do you have an idea as to how much uh, cost per lead is uh, via like Facebook ads versus direct mail? Um, you know that varies. Uh, our Facebook ads it varies by, be, be, between markets, but we're ex- we're having anywhere between fifteen dollars a lead to um, certain markets. I think up to forty dollars a lead. Uh, although now compare that to direct mail. Recently had um, uh, we're seeing that in direct mail, the there people are having um, uh, leads at about eighty dollars on the low end to as high as one hundred and twenty, one hundred and fifty dollars a lead. So significantly less in terms of the cost per lead uh, when it comes to you know when it comes to uh, uh, say difference between that and, and direct mail. Um, other sources like for example, some people, some investors use uh, do Google pay per click to generate leads, and that's really high. Ge- uh, generally, pay per click is somewhere between one one seventy five to two hundred and fifty dollars per lead. Mm-hmm. So the cost per leads is significantly less with Facebook. And what would you say? Uh, would be the average profit that a real estate investor makes on a deal? I mean, average, it, now that depends on, on the market, but I would say an average profit for someone to have as a target would be $7,500. So, know, meaning that. 
what's compelling to me, first of all, like you were just saying how expensive, you know, Google AdWords would be at say $250 per lead. Um, and let's say you had to get 10 leads in order for you to close one deal. You know, you're spending 2,500 bucks, but does it make sense to pay 2,500 bucks to make 7,500 bucks? Hell yeah. Like you can do that all day long. But what I think is even more intriguing in addition to the cost effectiveness of a Facebook ad where you're only getting 15 or 20 bucks per lead is the idea, like you said before, that it's more blue ocean. There's not as many people, not only is it cheaper and quicker, but it's also there's less competition in that space because people haven't really figured that nut out yet. Exactly, exactly. Less competition in that space. And, you know, again, you know, um, more leads are better too as well, especially as a beginner. Um, as a beginner, for you know, I could say, hey, if you get ten leads, um, you know, if you get ten leads at two fifty a lead, uh, you know, you spend twenty five hundred, you make seventy five hundred, you'd be willing to do that all day long. But I think as a beginner, it's tough. It's tough with those numbers mm -hmm. because they're so high. Versus, hey, just start off generating a few leads a day. They're going to come in two or three leads a day. You're going to spend you know thirty bucks, forty bucks a day. You can you can run it for three days or pause it. So it's just a lot more flexibility in that. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the other things is that, you know, whenever you did direct mail campaign, you went from nothing to when the mail hits and all of a sudden you got like 50 people to call. Yeah. And, and it's this mad rush to get back to everyone versus this is more of a trickle. You know, you get two, three leads, four leads a day uh, consistently. And so I think that's easier to handle for mm -hmm. most people versus that big influx of leads coming in at one time. Oh, that's huge. I mean, I remember when I was doing investing 10 years ago and, and it, that was exactly it. And not only was it the leads that would come flooding in, but so would your income. So you'd go out and you'd get two, three, four, five deals and you'd, you, you know, you'd do a nice <laughs> big chunk. And then over the next, you know, until that next mailing hit, you had nothing else coming in. So it yep. was uh, much more volatile. Um, so if somebody was interested in wanting to work with you on something like this, last we spoke, I think you talked about, I mean, you've already said that you're taking on some students. Do you have the capacity to take on more students or, or if somebody likes this idea, can they come to you or what do you have set up right now? For I that? mean, the, the best thing would be for them, um, they, could just, uh, they could just Google my name, Chris Chico. <laughs> Uh, there's no H in my name. It's only Chris, but Google will autocorrect it for you. Uh, I think that that's when you know you've arrived, when Google will autocorrect your name, uh, uh, you know, for, for with a strange name like mine. Wait, wait, wait. And, uh, will, will Google autocorrect to the correct spelling or is it adding yes, the, the H? No, no, to the correct spelling. Oh, wow. You have made it. Yeah, I know. I remember when I first started, I had registered Chris Chico with an H. Because people were misspelling it. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, I knew I arrived when Google said, when you go say, did you mean Chris Chico? <laughs> uh, so the so Chris Chico? My, yeah. So if you go to my website, uh, I have some free training that will give you more information about just in, uh, flipping contracts in general and, and Facebook and everything else. So, you know, the easiest thing is if, if they Google my name, you'll, you'll get my blog, my, my website. You can go there. There's free training you can, you can sign up for. And then, uh, you know, we'll always tell you what we have available at the time because it's just depending on what's going on. Sometimes we do one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, coaching with, with students and other times we have a variety of different courses that we sell. But I think that the, if you go to my website, then you can easily get uh, information on that. Excellent. All right. And I'll, I'll add a link too on the uh, podcast page as well. If you're listening to this, you can come to my site as well and get Chris's information. Um, we're getting fairly close on time here. I did want to ask you on a little bit more of a serious note, how things were going back home for you, home, home in Puerto Rico. Uh, do you know of, um, 
Uh, what's the status with things there? Do you know? I would hate to admit the fact that I am very disconnected from Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. <laughs> Meaning that, I mean, um, uh, I grew up in Puerto Rico. I left there when I was in third grade. And it's interesting because um, uh, that uh, I don't have that much connection there. And it's, it's interesting because um, family members, uh, I, and I keep in touch with family members, right? But I haven't gone there in a very long time. And, uh, and it's funny because sometimes family members will reach out to me and I can speak Spanish and they reach out to me on, on messaging on Spanish. And it's almost like, like it's so slow. Like I have my brain, it's almost like, like as if I'm, I'm just like talking Chinese and I'm looking at my Chinese dictionary and saying, okay, you know, so unfortunately, uh, I, I, I my, all my family, the family that I do stay in touch with, um, they're okay, but I think that uh, long term, there's there's some big problems over there, which mm -hmm. I'm not sure how they're going to solve. You know, it's kind of like the, you know what it feels like over there? It feels like if you're in a desert and you're trying to cross the desert and you see out in the distance, you're like, okay, this is a tough road, but I see it right mm -hmm. there. I, I see the uh, the building with all the water. Mm -hmm. I think Puerto Rico right now is like, all you see is desert. <laughs> <laughs> right like yeah there's no there's no buildings there's no water all you got to do is just keep on walking oh, and hopefully you, you're not going to die yeah. uh, before you get there because there's just so many things there's been a, a quite of an exodus of people that left puerto rico um infrastructure i mean it's just a really really tough situation and you know i mean i think even though puerto rico is a common you know it's part of the u.s we're u.s citizens um but it's almost like um they're not it, it's they're u.s citizens you know, factually, but it, it's not the same. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, your cousin that you don't see, you only see every so often when mm -hmm. there's a birthday party. Mm -hmm. that, li deal, right? yeah, that lives on an yeah. island. <laughs> yeah, that lives on an island. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, well, yeah, I have a friend that's over there right now and that's, you know, I know they're still dealing with some pretty fundamental infrastructure things and things like that, but uh, I thought you might have... Uh, no, no, no. I, I only know, I know, I know probably as much as you know, uh, watching the news, gotcha. you know, I hate to admit that, but it is what it is. No, fair enough. You've been here for a while. You're, you're, uh, it, it, I'm, I'm the most un-Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican you'll meet. <laughs> um, I don't even know how to dance salsa or any of that stuff. So, I mean, that, that goes to show you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured that, um, yes. you know, actually there was a loose end that I wanted to tie up here earlier in the call. We talked about, um, buying properties from motivated sellers. And I think you'd mentioned we'll get into why somebody would be willing to discount their home. Um, can you speak to that for a second and just why would somebody sell something for less than what they could get on it if they took longer to sell well, it? We did cover that. Um, uh, we used the example of the, uh, of the, um, of, of the your car. suburban, yes. Yeah, the suburban, the yeah. suburban. Yes. I mean, in, in essence, I mean, the big picture, big picture is I think that um, the, the, the best advice I can give to people is I'll give, I'll give it a different frame. And, and, and this is always useful is that, um, you know, you have to look at the situation outside of how you would normally handle the situation. Because all of us, some of us here listening, we have the ability, we have the, the, the resources that if we did have a property like that, we had a problem property, that we would be able to take care of it. That we would, you know, do whatever work was required, that we would be resourceful enough to, uh, to call a realtor and to figure out what it's worth and to put it on the market. And all those other things that we, we could easily, 
we could put we can do in order to maximize the value of the property. But you know, sometimes just people don't have that capability. Maybe they don't have desire to. And so I think it's just being open to the fact that uh, just they they you know you're you're solving. I would say you're solving a problem that someone either cannot solve themselves or or just don't wish to solve themselves. And so I think op- approaching it with an open mind that, um, and I always say that in real estate, the best advice is always, uh, whenever you're dealing with prospects is always, you know, you're coming from a, from a position of helping. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, what, what, what's going on with your property? How can I help you? Uh, what is it that you're trying to solve here that you can't otherwise, maybe you're having a hard time solving yourself that maybe I can come in and solve it and help you solve it. And, and of course, you know, I'm here to, to make a profit and maybe we can come up with a number that makes sense for you and I, that you're happy, you walk away with, and you know that, hey, I got a good deal, but, you know, each of us got what we were, were coming in to get. And I think that that's the, the, a lot of times people think about sales, oh, I got to convince the seller to reduce their price or to, to put them in a, you know, to put them in that uh, uh, a verbal chokehold, right, with ninja, you know, sales <laughs> tactics or anything like that. And I think in the end, it's just about understanding what their situation is, what are their needs, and can you help them? And if you could help them, then, hey, you know, you can profit from it. They can get rid of their problem property or, or their situation. Mm-hmm. And in the end, you know, everybody's happy. That's really what I was uh, wanting to ask more into is like what type of the – what types of those situations are there? So for the average listener that doesn't know anything about real estate investing, like, yo, okay, yeah, I understand why somebody might be motivated to sell because it's, it's more efficient or it's easier and I'm trading my equity for that. But those situations where – you know, we talked about an inherited property, maybe somebody yeah. passed on. An inherited or, or uh, maybe a tenant. Many times we deal with properties uh, with problem tenants. They have a tenant that's been in there, that's been in there for 10 years. They've been paying rent, but now they're not paying rent on time. And, you know, sometimes the person, is, the owner is soft. They don't want to evict them. They don't want to go through that process. And the property needs a lot of work. Maybe there are, you know, so it's like this this, this whole uh, synergy of, of problems all coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, as, uh, you know, and, and, and so I think that that's, you know, it just becomes overwhelming. It becomes overwhelming. And for them, they just say, you know what, if you can come in and take this off my hands. Uh, it's funny because I bought a car. Uh, it reminds me of a car I bought recently. I bought a car for my dad and I went to the uh, dealer where they had the car and they had the car and it looks like they had just traded in the car, brought, took the car in as a trade in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the car was there. They hadn't detailed it. They hadn't washed it. They hadn't done their thing. And and then I came in and I said, look, it was reminding me because it's like it feels like like I'm buying a house. I said to them, um, um, look, I'm willing to take the car as is, take it off your hands. You don't have to wash it. You don't have to detail it. You don't have to put. The, you don't have to do nothing. Just give me the car. And if you say yes, I'll come. I'm gonna. I have to go get dinner. This is a true story. I said I have to go dinner. I have to pick up dinner for my wife and kids at Chipotle. I'll go pick it up. I'll drop it off. I'll come before, at six o'clock. I'll sign all the paperwork. In an hour, I'll be out of your hair. You never have to worry about the car again. And the dealer's like, okay, I'll take it. It was a small dealer, but you know, for them, they're like, you know what? I'll take that price because I don't have to do all this work. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, so it, it's looking at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're looking at it as their problem is that, you know, the, the, the car was less than the typical price point that they're used to dealing with. So they would have to either wholesale that car to another dealer, or if they kept the car, they would have to do a lot of work to it. And so for them, you know, I just came in and offered a solution that made sense. And I think that's the way I look at it with the house business. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, or you might have a property that you own and that you forgot that you owned it and it has a three foot hole in the side of the wall and 
Exactly. Yeah. Always that too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. I was. That was such an amazing call for me because I was still, like I said, still relatively new and had to let the guy know that yeah, you actually own this property. That happens too. I mean, he had, you know, tens of tens of properties across the country that. Uh, he, he forgot about this. Frankly, one. forgot about it. That's so a good thing. that's a that's a good thing that you have so many properties you forget about one. One yeah. sticks with the cracks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a good yeah. problem to have. Yeah. Uh, well, Chris, we uh, are a little bit over the hour here, so I wanted to thank you for your time today. And uh, again, for anyone that's listening, would like to know more about how to do real estate investing. Chris has got a lot of really great free information on his website, um, and then also uh, I think what's really intriguing for those that are are a little bit you know, wanting to get started more, or maybe they are a current investor and want to up their marketing game a little bit more. Chris has done some really, uh, really powerful things on Facebook advertising that I know he could uh, teach you some, some of the ins and outs on that. So, uh, look him up for that as well. Any other parting words, Chris, before we. No, you know, I would say my best advice to everyone is, uh, is I always think about, uh, I, I definitely think that, uh, and you, I think you would agree, uh, with this is, uh, real estate, obviously is what I'm involved with, but I think predominantly what's helped me in the real estate business is learning marketing. Yep. So I'm always a big fan of learning direct response marketing. Uh, the book that I picked up that really helped me was uh, Dan Kennedy's The Ultimate Sales Letter, first marketing book I ever picked up, which is the one that I used and write on my postcards and get my the, the journey. And then uh, I, I'm a firm believer in that, um, that, it, it, that, you know, building up your tool belt of skills. And one of those skills is marketing. Another skill that I think everybody should build uh, and, and should try to acquire at least some competency is is online advertising. So whether it be Facebook for real estate investors or Facebook for some other means or learning to, to, to generate eyeballs and to generate uh, customers on online, I think it's an invaluable skill. So I would just say recommend to anyone. It doesn't matter if, if you're looking to do real estate or not, but, you know, learn those two skills or skills that could help you in any endeavor that that you would uh that that you'd want to approach mm -hmm. agreed agreed well thanks again chris for your time much appreciated and uh yeah all the best to you all right buddy thank you thank you very much right, great man. talking to you you Bye. too take care